Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Looks like we have a really interesting uh, panel here. We have Tanya Evans, Chacha Valadez, and Joe, and I'm going to say uh, Joe S is what I'll do. Uh, <laughs> Infinite Objects uh, founder and CEO. So first of all, welcome to this very impromptu podcast. We're going to do a round. Everybody can introduce themselves just a little bit. Let's start with Tanya. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I love this topic. And so I'm head over heels already. I am a professor of law. I'm an IP and technology lawyer and law professor at Penn State Dickinson Law. I'm also the chair of the Maker Ecosystem Growth Foundation uh, over in the land of Ethereum. And so um, two years ago, I wrote this article about CryptoKitties, cryptography and copyright. It was way ahead of its time, but who's laughing now? because NFTs are really making a splash. And so thank you for having me on to talk about it. That's so cool. Joe, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Joe Saavedra. I founded Infinite Objects. We are a, a whole new way to value digital content, uh, changing the way that we monetize and also collect and own. We're really iterating on the experience of ownership of uh, video specifically, um, but really digital assets uh, in general. Awesome. And if I didn't do this in the intro, I'll do it one more time and say that we are Backstage Capital is an investor in Infinite Objects. Uh, Tanya is on my ArlensAcademy.com website. So just all that disclosure. And speaking of uh, all sorts of hanging out uh, together every day, Chacho Valadez, uh, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I am here to disclose that I am Arlen's uh, employee. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, uh, I'm a principal at Backstage. I help uh, source and make investments as, also, as well as support our portfolio. And I'm also Arlen's chief of staff. And so working hard as her right hand and trying to just make her life as easy as possible. That's right. That's right. And, and brought Chacho on because I wanted to have many perspectives. Uh, my perspective is like completely from the ground up with a little bit of knowledge now because I took Tanya's course, but NFT specifically, I wanted to talk about that uh, non-fungible, what's the last letter stand for? Tokens. Tokens, tokens. non-fungible tokens. I think the best way to kick this off is for Tanya to give um, a clear, concise description of what NFTs are. So everybody's probably familiar with Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. And when we talk about cryptocurrencies, one is interchangeable with another. It's the fungibility, it doesn't matter which one because they're all interchangeable because they all represent the same thing, same value. Non-fungible tokens are unique and they serve a couple of different purposes. One is to prove ownership. And also it is to program unique features of a very unique token. And that's why it's so uh, popular in gaming and in art and in music and especially collectibles. Collectibles was really the first um, use case. Uh, you, people may have heard of CryptoKitties. It wasn't really about unique ownership of a digital cat per se. It was really to prove a proposition, a use case that you could have a unique token and the value could be next to nothing or it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars equivalent. And we've certainly seen that in, in, in gaming, in art and, and collectibles. And am I the only person who just doesn't know this fungible word? I mean, is that just in crypto? Is that just a word that I just don't know? Like fungible, meaning what? I know it now, but I'd love to tell the audience. 
Absolutely. So when you think about a, a commodity, things where uh, they are interchangeable one-to-one. -one. We think of currencies, you can think of apples or oranges, where there's one is, you know, there are some differences within the orange category, but really they are commodities, as opposed to something like real estate, for example, that is has this unique parcel. And even if every single um, property on the same block looks the same. Each parcel of land is unique and different. And so I analogize it to real property as well, that there is only and always ever one. And so when we think of something that is not interchangeable, it is non-fundable, non-fungible, excuse me. Yeah. And so who wants to dive in and tell us why something would sell for millions of dollars, for thousands of dollars that is uh, I'm just going to take this from the point of view of just like, I feel like I just landed on earth, right? So why would someone pay thousands of dollars, if not more, for something that's digital online they can never touch, except in, this, in the case of infinite objects, which we'll talk about in a minute, what that foundation, do you, do you want to say something, uh, Joe? Yeah, I think it comes down to scarcity. Uh, when you think about digital assets, uh, you know, think about digital content in general over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years where the internet has, you know, obviously taken over everything. We have um, just, there's, everything is represented in images, in GIFs, in videos, in 3D models. Um, there is all of this content that is just, in, it's, it's completely, um, Infinite? You know, it's it's, a, it's infinite. Yeah. <laughs> it's infinite. But we never value it the same way that we do physical goods, right? And and I think the fact that there's never been a way to provably own something that is provably scarce using blockchain technology, we're able to do that for the first time. And and that's a really exciting concept. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is sometimes hard to wrap your your head around because it, exactly like you said, like, why is this image worth so much? Mm -hmm. uh, or why is this um, game asset, right? Because there's a lot of applications in, in that sector as well. But scarcity and provability is really why, um, why the value, what, what builds the value and, and, and it, why people are very excited about owning one. Um, that, that I think is, is kind of the bottom line. Yeah, it sounds just like a very highly uh, collectible art that gets passed around sometimes generation to generation or someone buys it off of someone else or just stays in a museum or stays at someone's home. And it's sometimes the art itself is not very interesting to, to everyone. They may look at this and say, well, this is just a red line and waves and whatever, but it could be worth tens of millions, I'm sorry, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. And it's because you have it. I mean, as someone who just started collecting art, I can I can understand that really quickly, that that take on it. Um, Chacho, let's for for most of the people listening to this episode, we're going to be different level different levels of <laughs> understanding. What's your understanding of NFT? I guess from the gaming perspective, do you do you have an understanding of NFT, or do you have more questions than answers? Um, I have a very very basic understanding, so I'm more here to learn than anything else. I okay. think um, one thing to add to the point that Joe made is that um, another point uh, to add on top of scarcity is that you can um, prove that 
one specific NFT is like um, only one person owns that NFT. Yeah. And so like um, you can't really copy it at all. Um, you could take a screenshot, but that's not really, you know, thanks to blockchain, the blockchain technology, you can actually prove like I own this specific digital asset. So how um, does how does one create an NFT, Tanya? Oh boy. Well, um, I might have to lean on the understanding of Joe, but basically we're talking about uh, pieces of code and actually doesn't take an, a, a lot of time or a lot of lines of code to actually create it. When I think of, um, and now I'm going to get slightly jargony, but repetition is going to breed retention and people can check it out. This first had a boom on the Ethereum virtual machine. And so based upon certain coding standards there, and I was talking about fungible tokens, the ERC20 token is a fungible token. So there are thousands probably at this point tokens that uh, record to the Ethereum virtual machine. They don't have their own blockchain, but they record their information there. The ERC721 is the, non, the first non-fungible standard and correct me if I'm Wrong, I know at least of one other that we'll save that for another day, the 1155, right? But at the essence, they are bits of code where you can program precisely what Chacho and Joe mentioned about the specific um, ownership aspects of it. The, the actual file, the creative file does not reside. It is not captured in the token. The file is somewhere else, but the directions or instructions to access it, and only the person that owns that unique token has access to it. And so to the, the point of scarcity and uh, reaching it, that drives up the value, scarcity and demand, right? It's supply and demand um, economics. And last point, the subjective value and love of art. I know a lot of people in the financial space don't get it. They're like, why would you spend your Ethereum trying to buy this particular token? because people love it, <laughs> because art is amazing and it's transformative. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm glad that people are taking the notice for the value of art for art's sake now. Yeah, the article that I posted on, uh, or reposted on Twitter today about NFTs that got me interested in doing this episode, it looked like there was a 100x uh, return for someone who bought something for like 60,000, it sold for 6 million, and it was time had passed. In my opinion, that's like time had passed, and more interest was there and they were able to sell it. What are what are a couple of use cases for it? I see art, I see gaming. Joe, speak a little bit about what you're seeing and then talk a little bit about how Infinite Objects, your company, again, we are investors in Infinite Objects, um, how your company is sort of bridging the the ethereal with the with real life tangible. Yeah, completely. Um, so in terms of use cases, it's incredible. I think that um, right now we're already seeing, like you said, art, uh, gaming, uh, we're seeing music. I, I think over the weekend, uh, a producer DJ named uh, Justin Blau um, uh, released the first tokenized album. And uh, he, he tokenized a lot of different elements. Some of them were graphical uh, to accompany the music. Some of them were the actual tracks themselves. Um, but I think in total, it was 33 NFTs that he, he released for auction. And over 72 hours, starting on Thursday or Friday, he ended with $11.5 million in, in revenue, which is incredible. But you know, a, a lot of the reason why we're seeing so much excitement is because this is historical. This is the first time that someone has imagined 
imagined their creation. He's coming from this musician's perspective and, and saying, I'm going to share ownership of the, the tracks that I'm producing, the music that I'm releasing with my fans. And, uh, and it's so exciting to see the communities that are getting built around this. It really is an incredible amount of creators, collectors, you know, gallerists, um, people coming from all, all different areas coming together and saying, this is a very special, unique um, uh, evolution of, again, ownership. And, and, and um, it's, I think it's a really powerful moment. That being said, yeah, we we I, I think real estate is a really underspoken, like people don't talk about this very much, but the Ethereum, the, the definition of the ERC721 that Tanya was talking about, this protocol that was the first NFT protocol, and then the 1155 um, evolution of that, there's so many powerful uh, possibilities with smart contracts and with dApps that are getting released right now, developed around so many different uh, areas. Real estate is a really interesting one because you think about how a real estate investment goes. There's uh, you know, an agreement uh, that's been drawn up. There's an escrow period that involves you know, holding uh, you know, value and money. And then there's the release and, and the final transaction. And all of those things can be represented in dApps and in smart contracts. Uh, inside of NFTs, which is just an amazing, you know, evolution of really this kind of distributed ability to execute transactions, both in the real world and purely online or 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 in in the in the cloud. Um, so anyway, that being said, my company, Infinite Objects, we started with this thesis that digital content is undervalued. Today, you can't sell a video. The idea of selling a video or monetizing a video does not exist. It's really YouTube, right? That's kind of the default way to make money um, with video content specifically. And that's because um, you need a display to, to uh, enjoy, to observe, to experience uh, video content. We came up with this idea of a display that is immutable. Uh, meaning it is permanent, it is never changeable. The content is permanently married to the display. And that does a lot of things. Immediately when when this was, when I kind of started prototyping this, I was working uh, with a company called Giphy, the GIF search engine that's now part of Facebook. We were just experimenting around how do we consume video or moving image content period. And uh, immediately this idea of permanence uh, inspired a lot of uh, concepts around how we monetize content from a creator or publisher or brand standpoint and how we collect it and own it from a consumer standpoint. And uh, it was a very exciting moment to say, you know what, this can create economies for digital content that don't exist today. Because uh, like I said, there's just no ways to sell or buy video today. Uh, maybe in the 90s, VHS and DVD was kind of the last time that we thought about it. Yeah, we've that. gotten backwards, actually. We've gotten, we've gotten backwards, Shout out exactly. to Gen Xers. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials exactly. remember VHS too, growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a big VHS collection. Um, and, uh, and so the idea of also introducing scarcity for digital content was something that we're doing physically with the displays, editioning a video 100 times and saying there's only 100 of this video in existence. Uh, you can own it uh, in, this, in this physical body. NFTs are doing the exact same thing. They're building value through scarcity. Uh, they're defining... A, you know what ownership means and and making that something that is is publicly accessible uh, using blockchain it's very very exciting and uh there's this 
beautiful synergy happening between our product and uh, and the NFT marketplaces and explosion in interest over the last few months. Um, and you referenced that Beeple uh, resale that just happened on the secondary market. Uh, we worked with Beeple on his second NFT launch in December. And then actually just uh, last weekend also, we did another Beeple collaboration on Maker's Place, um, which is really let's, exciting. Let's break that down. Um, what does that mean? So we have two things going. One thing is to understand is that infinite objects before and, and, and other than NFT is about printed video. So you have video that... And we and I, I own like five or six of these. They're really cool. I sent one out to all of the backstage team. Um, and if you are a, a republic.co forward slash backstage investor, uh, there are certain perks that include the infinite object that is a surprise video for everyone. So there's a physical object. And then you figured, okay, NFT, there, there someone is gonna own one. But let's see, it's almost like when someone does, or it's almost exactly like when someone paints something, an original, you pay more for the original, but you, they love to give their prints and you can pay less for the prints. And your infinite object to me seems like it's the print of the original, right? So talk about a case study um, and maybe Tanya and Joe can, can discuss it a little bit, a case study of one of these NFTs that you've done. Definitely, yeah, uh, so, I'd love to hear ahead, more about. Yeah. No, definitely, I, I want to hear more because I was thinking the ones that I'm, the NFTs that I'm most familiar with now, and some of the ones that were most popular during um, Black History Month. So, what Micah Johnson did, for example, with Aku, and seeing the limited edition NFTs that are also tied to some physical um, art as well, or ones that are just in a special vault and only the person who has the NFT can access it. So I'm I'm now here with Chacho listening to figure out how all that works because people don't really understand. Sometimes you can have the, the digital art that is manifested physically. And sometimes you can tokenize a physical piece of art for fra a fractional ownership. And I find that really fascinating too. Yeah, it is. It is all very fascinating. And honestly, this is all being explored, discovered, defined like now. Right. There, there are no, um, you know, set rules. Everyone is is very much exploring what this space can mean and, and how this technology can be applied and how it's very exciting. Again, for both the creators or publishers, content owners, you know, uh, the, there's there's both sides of the coin then the consumers and the collectors and the owners it's really exciting um, to, to be participating at a time when when again these things are are not standardized yet uh, that being said the way that we think about our product in relation to you know nfts that are visual that are art that are video um, we are never going to replace the nft we feel like our product represents this opportunity to experience it and value it outside of the browser because it's not very exciting to spend $10,000 on a token and then have to pull up your phone, open Safari, and then say, look what I just bought, right? right. But the idea of bringing a, a single purpose device that is just uh, representing that token um, is something that all collectors can relate to and are excited about it. You look on Twitter, listen on Clubhouse, people are constantly saying, where can I display my NFTs? Um, right. We represent this very conceptually aligned uh, product that is made for exactly this. And, and let me tell you how we are bridging the physical to the digital. Um, 
you know, our product will never replace the NFT. That is what you are collecting. And the NFT is forever because, you know, as blockchain is entirely about distributed networks, it is not centralized. There's no, if a company, you know, disappears, blockchain will continue existing. Um, and so that data that is written to that ledger that is, you know, fully distributed in, in the blockchain network, whichever one you're, you're operating on, Flow or Ethereum or, or Bitcoin, there's uh, many of them now, or, or Maker, obviously. There's, um, our product represents a snapshot of that token at the time of printing. So mm. our product is unique in that there's no buttons, there's no switches, there's no configuration. And the backside becomes an opportunity to create a certificate of authenticity or a certificate of provenance. That certificate will contain things like the contract address, the token identifier, the wallet of the current owner at the time of printing, a timestamp that says this was made, this was generated at this time based on the current data on chain. So as the primary market collector, that's exciting. I've got this video print of what I what I purchased and, and I get to show it off in my house. I could exhibit it in a gallery, um, but then maybe I sell my token. Maybe I sell that work. I'm selling the actual NFT, right? This object is a reproduction of what that NFT represents of the data that is behind that token. Uh, on the secondary market, I just collected this and I should have a right to also exhibit it and show it off and, and, uh, and physically hold a copy of that token. It would have a new wallet address, a new timestamp. And, and you know, we're, we're very much including something like a QR code. QR codes are generally very ugly, but what do they represent? Data. And that's exactly what this physical twin of your token represents, it's data. So scanning it, you get to go then obviously on your phone or whatever interconnected device, see who owns this uh, piece right now, who owns this token right now, how much did they pay for it? Uh, when was it last traded? When was it created? When was it minted on the blockchain, right? All of that data is, is that is the token that you, that whichever current owner is collecting. And, uh, and our product just represents a, a, a opportunity to bring that digital data into real world space and make it something that anyone can be excited about. Because there is this uh, challenge of education. We have to teach people what is blockchain, what is an NFT, what we're doing today. Um, mm -hmm. But everyone understands what limited edition merchandise is. Everyone understands what right. that is. Everyone is excited mm -hmm. to own it, hold it, show it off. And, uh, and we are that bridge. We're the bridge between this kind of collectible merchandise to this right. digital token uh, living, living on the block, blockchain. Do you remain connected in terms of um, one of the most exciting things that I think about um, in the space is also the downstream secondary market participation and the way that as a matter of attribution for the original creator, which is something, you know, here in the United States, uh, we don't have or honor moral rights except for this very limited um, space for certain aspects of visual arts. But everything else, there's no right to attribution, there's no right to integrity as we see in European markets, for example. So another fantastic benefit from an intellectual property point of view is the attribution, uh, attribution uh, that NFT can be programmed for integrity of the work, et cetera, et cetera. I don't even know if we necessarily have to do it because of the, um, the technology, but also the uh, revenue participation or these micropayments that can go back upstream for that original creator if they see fit as well and how that participation happens in secondary markets and for galleries. Um, are you 
part of that process as well? That th this is such a great question. I'm so, and also your expertise is part of the reason why um, it's, a, it's like you're you're asking the right questions. It's yes, absolutely. We, you know, it's interesting the royalty structures and the metadata that is attached to any NFT when it is minted it's still not standardized across marketplaces. This is kind of something that people don't fully understand. They do believe that, um, you know, that when there's a secondary market sale that the creator gets a royalty payment. Sometimes the original platform it was minted on also gets a, regardless of who the secondary market, uh, right. you know, where, where it was sold. But in fact, these things are not standardized across marketplaces. So royalties are not even enforced 100% of the time. It's unclear what percentage they are or are not. But uh, because there is not a standardization around um, those elements of the contract, um, you, can't, you can't actually know that it's always being enforced today. Now, I do think that we're moving towards a place where everyone's coming to a consensus and saying, okay, here's how we're gonna dictate it. Here's how percentages are laid out. And um, and then hopefully everyone begins participating in enforcing those. Um, that being said, it's still the wild, wild west a little bit. Now to the other, your other point about how our product and how the idea of tying physical goods to NFTs can participate in the same kind of uh, economy. Yes, we are actively thinking about, and there's a few thought leaders in, in the NFT, especially in the art space, thinking about um, things like a print registry. So this would be the idea of um, representing a physical print on chain alongside the actual NFT that the physical print was based on. And I, this could have a lot of really interesting parameters. Maybe the creator is able to define what vendors they have approved, right? What um, formats they approve of turning. Maybe they can even say what quantity that NFT can ever be printed, right? In, in an official authorized way. Um, and then of course, like you're saying, there's a royalty agreement where it could be print. Maybe I've created an art piece. Um, it's a one of one NFT and I allow, I'm specifying that it can be printed 100 times ever. And uh, it can only be printed by X, Y, or Z vendors on X, Y, or Z formats. And I will always get, you know, 10% royalty on every physical print that is generated from this token that I'm creating right now. Those things are, are we're, we're talking about them. There's a lot of people thinking around that space. Um, you know, representing the physical world in on blockchain is, is there's, we're at the tip of the iceberg of what that means and how we enforce it and how it gets standardized. So yeah, it's, it's a great question and, and it's being actively worked on for sure. We're excited to participate in it. We're very, as Infinite Objects, you know, we're a, a media company, if anything. Um, obviously hardware and, and, and our product itself is, is very unique and, and we're getting to participate in a lot of ways, but we're excited to work on defining those things and you know, making it very equitable for everyone, because I think that's another area that, you know, you think about art in the very standard format of the gallery ecosystem. It's right. not artists first. It's really not artists first. Those galleries, traditional galleries in Soho take 50%. That's the standard of any sale. Uh, with NFTs, it's somewhere between 20 and 40% of the primary market sale. And then secondary markets, it's like 10%. But the idea of an artist making money on a secondary sale of their art is not, uh, has not been a thing. And so it's really exciting um, what that, what opportunities that creates um, for, for makers. 
I wanted to, uh, as we start to wrap up, I wanted to see what other case studies are there, or sorry, uh, case uses are there for this, other than art musicians, which are very important and, and kind of my favorite of this. Is there a place for something more rigid or more, uh, are people selling things that are more about just pictures of currency and time? I don't know exactly how to say it. Mm. How are people using it in different ways? I'm seeing it in the education space with certifications mm. and personal licenses. And that's a really, um, you know, you have the accreditables and other things in the world, but this is a unique way because it's not centralized. And in that way, the same benefits of decentralization and um, the pseudonymity that comes in the blockchain space that you don't see um, in traditional education and paper and you know, the silos of information and paying to get the information that you already paid for, so I shouldn't have to pay for it again. So certifications and personal licensure is important and also identities and interesting uh, use as well. If I go to purchase something that requires I am a certain age, you shouldn't know where I live, how tall I am. If you can't see my eyes, you shouldn't know my eye color. You should just know, am I good for this, whatever this product is? And so that's another um, the, the digitization in a decentralized format of um, identity is another important part of this space too. How long do we think it's going to take um, for this to be really kind of second nature to people in mainstream? Everything sounds foreign when it's starting. Most people couldn't fathom people having computers that were small enough to, you know, to be in their homes and not so expensive. Uh, just a few decades ago, that was not even in our realm of thinking. How long do you think this particular thing has until we're like our 12 year old people in our lives are just, it's what they know? I feel like the thing that's holding us back the most is the UI UX experience is really bad. Joe was talking, we were talking a bit earlier just about even getting into cryptocurrency early. It was really difficult to do. And there's still, 50, 11 steps to, for the average person to onboard just in cryptocurrency. Um, that being said, there is such a bright spotlight in, on this space now that there is an imperative to solve for the user experience. Uh, and, and it is a lot better uh, than it was. So um, with the advent of major uh, personalities getting involved and you see like an A doing certain things, um, whenever there's an athlete or an entertainer involved, it brings a spotlight and attention that makes people excited. I also, final um, point, and I know, Joe, you know a lot about this as well, um, the fan experience, you know, the disintermediating the fan experience so that there is direct access is a really important thing as well. So if there's all these high value experiences that are also scarce that go directly from an artist or entertainer or athlete to their fan base. That's another way to bring in people who would be excited. We can figure anything out if we are sufficiently interested, right? So we're always and incentivized. Incentivized to actually make that move. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Any final thoughts uh, from from the gallery here, Chacha? What have you have you learned much here? <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. I've been taking notes on the side. Um, yeah, I think the uh, reason. I was so excited to be part of this conversation is because um, this is the first time I've been like excited about a specific use case of blockchain technology. 
and it's something refer going back to um, what you were talking about in terms of like how long into until it's more like mainstream uh, i feel like if i were to explain this to my seven eight year old niece she would understand because she understands the importance of the digital assets in the terms of like in the forms of um, buying skins and like Roblox, for example. And so um, I, I think we're, I don't like putting timestamps on things, um, but uh, we're in the, we're still in the early days, uh, but we'll see this, uh, this is something that will, will be here for a long time. Yeah. I like putting timestamps on things because it makes me accountable and people can yell at me on Twitter when I'm wrong. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think about, I mean, that's what I think, you know, 10 years from now, so many people who grew up six, seven, and they're, they're graduating high school, whatever it is in 10 years that exists, uh, are gonna, this is going to be part of their lives. And so that means that if you're, if you're just kind of ignoring it because it seems too complicated or it doesn't seem like it matters to you, I think that's when you make the mistake. At least have a working uh, knowledge of it, listening to podcasts like this, going to arlensacademy.com and getting Tanya's course, which is like incredibly uh, foundational, uh, looking into just tweet, I mean, Googling and, and just learning more and more just so that you can speak the language. You may not be fluent in it. And I'm, I don't know if I'll ever be fluent in this language, but I love that I have the building blocks to at least have the conversation and ask questions about it. Joe, any final words? No, I, I love this conversation. Um, I'm gonna take Tanya's course. I'm definitely gonna take Tanya's course right now. Uh, it, it's an exciting moment. This is definitely a, an evolution of what we think about when we think about ownership of physical and digital goods. Uh, I love what Chatra said. You're absolutely right. I think you um, listen to Clubhouse and you know there's so many conversations about exactly this stuff. And Clubhouse is a great little sandbox of opinions and voices. Um, you never hear young people asking questions about it. And you know why? Because young people understand exactly why a digital asset is worth money. That's not a question to them. It's the people who are 35, 40, 45, who are like, wait, wait, what? Why? Uh, I think that in 10 years from now, when those young people right now, the youngest generations now are, are the people with money, the people that are doing deals, it's, this is going to be second nature and it's, it's not even going to be a question. So yeah, like Arlen said, don't, don't ignore it. Um, there's no necessarily reason to, you have to jump in right now, but certainly try to understand it because it's really exciting and it's definitely the future. Yeah. It seems super lucrative to, to people who get it. I want, I want <laughs> all of, I don't want it to all go to one, one, one type of person, the, the rich getting richer, et cetera. Let's, Let's right. think of ways, you know, uh, be, be part of, that's another good reason to understand this so that it's not passing you by and you're watching other rich people just get richer. Uh, Tanya, last words. It's all about education for me. Clearly I'm biased, the, but really whatever people choose, I want them to choose from a position of power. And they're the only thing that stands between you and really at whatever level you're comfortable to actually understand or lean in is a mindset and switching the mindset just to be intellectually curious. It may take you into the world of NFTs, or at least you will know, and then you can make a more informed decision about at what level you'll participate, but don't stay on the sidelines because you didn't know. Now that you're listening to this, you can take that off the list. There might be another reason, but it won't be because you don't know. So lean into that. Education is key. And, um, and, and keep growing.
That's right. And, and you had a, such a great thread on Twitter about uh, IP. How do people find you on Twitter, Tanya? I'm at IP Prof Evans, IP Prof Evans for Intellectual Property Professor. And that's where I live. So you can absolutely catch me there. You can also catch me um, at ProfTanyaEvans.com. That's my main website. How do people find you, Joe? Uh, I'm at, at J-M-S-A-A-V-E-D-R-A. Good luck with that. <laughs> Check out Infinite Objects. Check out at Infinite Objects. There it is. There at Infinite Objects. How do we find you, Chacho? Uh, first, I think Tanya needs to be my life coach because that was so good. <laughs> um, but I <laughs> agree. I, agree. I, I, um, I'm on Twitter at, at Chacho Valdez, C-H-A-C-H-O-V-A-L-A-D-E-Z. Awesome. Thank you all so much for jumping on this call. Same day, impromptu. I just wanted to learn more and I wanted to share that with people listening. I think this is a great primer for so many people. Uh, we'll do it again because it's fun. It's been fun. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.